Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Man, can we thank uh, Mr. Dustin and Miss Shelby for leading us in worship? You guys are awesome. Thank y'all for doing that. And good morning and welcome again to The Vessel. Thank y'all for being here. I've introduced myself, but uh, if you weren't here before, my name is Jake Toman, and this beautiful thing right here is my bride, Shay Shay. Good morning. <laughs> so y'all say hi to Shay Shay. Thank you. Uh, Shay Shay on Instagram is the real Shay Shay, is her official Instagram title. I don't know if we named you Shay Shay. I think it was my brother. I, I don't remember, but it feels better than some of the other nicknames that I've had. In <laughs> That's the, true. You know, the past of my life, there was a time yeah. when people called me Shanane. I don't like that, by the way. <laughs> Shay Shay is much preferred, and that is what my nieces and, I mean, my nephews have adopted. So yeah. I'm good with that. All Shay Shay. So thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for being here. Like I said, we originally had a team going to Gatesville to serve. And Shay, uh, she serves here at the Vessel as our Director of Discipleship. And really her focus and what that means for her role is when we talk about our vision as a church, we kind of break out the things that we do into three areas. We talk about our upward relationship with the Lord. We talk about our outward relationship with the world. And we talk about our inward relationship with one another. And so Shay, in, in her role as Director of Discipleship, she kind of oversees and gives guidance and support to the inward relationship with one another. So student ministry, children's ministry, our small groups, our women, women's and men's ministry, uh, the men's discipleship group, Bible studies, that sort of thing. And so it's really, that's her role to help give support and encouragement there. And she's done an awesome job. And so uh, if you are here and you've been here the last few weeks, we have been out. We went on a vacation that was like legit vacation. It, uh, it wasn't just camping. Not that camping's not a legit vacation. We went That's to normally our yeah, vacation. We went That's to, what he means by that. Yeah. We went to, we went to Hawaii for two weeks to see Shay's sister and family that was there. That's right. And so, and while we were there, we celebrated our 15 year anniversary. Yes. And so we had a great time and we did get away from the kids on our anniversary and a couple other times, but uh, we, we had an awesome trip. And the cool thing was, is she was supposed to teach this Sunday and I was going to be out in Gatesville with the team there. And so as we were there, she was like, well, it's now it's canceled. Do you want to teach with me? I said, of course I do, babe. And so we... That's a true story. Yeah. I, have to, I have to say, that's yeah. a true story. And I um, was relieved a little bit because I was trying to prepare while we were away. And I enjoyed teaching with Jake. And so this was, this was a good opportunity for us to be able to do this again. And it's, a little, it's become a little bit tradition because the first time that we ever taught together was when we celebrated our 10-year anniversary. We were in Nicaragua on a mission trip which was equally as awesome as Hawaii, but we were like digging ditches and uh, doing Nicaraguan type things. It was a little bit sweatier and not as romantic. But uh, we, on our 10 year anniversary on that trip, we did that, we, we taught together for the first time. So it's a little bit tradition. But while we were in uh, Hawaii and we, were, we stayed with Shay's sister and we had 11 people, including six kids in a really small house. And so it was a little chaotic, but uh, at night, we would, you know, kids would go to bed and we'd play games and stuff. And so we played this, uh, Brittany and Nick, Shay's sister and her husband, they had this game called Moral Dilemma, which is essentially, it's a would you rather game, but they, they've somehow added a scoring system. And so it, they ask these questions that put you into this 
quote unquote moral dilemma that are these would you rather questions. And so one of the games, one of the questions you were asking, and so they ask you the question, the person reads the card, and you decide what you would do in this moral dilemma. And then the other people discuss and guess, they basically guess what you would decide. And so the question that I got, one of our first games said, you're camping at night, which is something, and you're in a tent, you're camping at night, which we like to camp, and with your family, and Sasquatch comes into your campsite. Sasquatch comes into your campsite and says, so would you, and the two options were, the first option would, was, uh, would you leave behind, would you run and leave behind your ugliest child, which I thought was really mean, really mean, because all of my children are equally handsome and beautiful, and Scott's getting slapped, because I think he's already decided uh, that he would do that. Yeah, so would you, one, run, flee, and leave behind your ugliest child as a distraction, or would you take the kids and leave behind your spouse as a distraction for Sasquatch? And so they talked about it. I voted. Uh, I thought it was an easy decision. I voted. And then they all decided that I would leave behind our ugliest child. And that was not what I chose. I was so <laughs> shocked. I was so shocked that he was sacrificing me to Sasquatch. Yeah. I mean, it's our anniversary. I felt like I was worth more than that. And then I heard his rationale and I still questioned. Yeah. And so I was, I thought she could fight. Like if Sasquatch, like little Barrett, he's not going to fight Sasquatch, but she's got a fighting chance. <laughs> One, so she can fight. Two, okay. Two, she, she's saved. She knows Jesus. Okay. Like I feel confident in that. And so that's the decision I make. But in the spirit of that, to introduce kind of on this Palm Sunday uh, and talking about Jesus in this triumphant entry that we're gonna be talking about today, we thought we would start by playing a little bit of Would You Rather, and I promise it totally connects with uh, the spirit of this morning. Yes, yes, that this is true. Okay, so we are gonna ask you a few Would You Rather questions, and we want crowd participation, so I'm gonna... As well as church at home. So if you're at right, church at home right. and you're... If you're at home, participate um, with whoever you got around. But I'm going to type it into the chat. They can answer the question. I am going to read the question, give you a moment to think about it, and then I'm going to read it again. And I want you to raise your hand if you choose, you know, the first option or the second option. Okay. So the first question is very silly. It's just a warm up to get us started. Uh, It says, Would you rather be covered in fur or scales? Okay. So would you rather be covered in fur? Fur or scales? Okay, so fur, we'll go fur first. All right. Scales? Interesting. Wow. Interesting. You know, the commentary said like scales would be steel or fur would just be fuzz. Um, I think I would prefer the soft. Would you rather sell all of your possessions or sell one of your organs? Who would rather sell all of their possessions? That means everything. Wow, I'm with you. Who would rather sell just in one organ? You get to choose. You're crazy. I feel like there's something I can discard, you know? I'm a little too sentimental. Uh, Y'all are crazy. You sell all your possessions, you can buy it back. I know there's sentimental things. (laughs) Okay, next one. Would you rather lose the ability to read or to speak? Would you rather lose the ability to read? Raise your hand. 
Who would rather lose the ability to speak? Okay, that doesn't count, Russ. You don't speak anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love reading too much. Okay, and the Books last question. Tape. The last question. Would you rather know when you are going to die or how you are going to die? Who would rather know when? Who would rather know how? I would choose when. Jake and I have had this conversation um, with my sister and her husband along the terms of this moral dilemma, but I chose something different than Jake and it spurred this interesting conversation. And my philosophy was that if I knew when I would live with this daunting time that was just ticking away. And I would, I would wake up every morning, I think, with a little anxiety, like, oh, one less day, you know, it, the date is approaching. And it, it would just alter my frame of mind and, and how I lived. And maybe not so in a positive way, because I would end up having worry and anxiety where I, I didn't have before. But Jake felt totally different. Yes, I did. Uh, of course, I would want to know when. You're always going one more day towards your death, right? Today, we are one more day towards death, regardless of whether you know when it is or it's not. Plus, I take out great life insurance right before it happened, and then my family be set. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, we laugh about that. But really, this question got brought up about the winter how, because the, the, the truth is, is when we look at Palm Sunday, we consider Jesus Christ going into Jerusalem at the end of his life, he knew both when and he knew how he would die. And we're not always granted that. And we're not granted that typically. I mean, sure, there's people that die of cancer or that get a terminal illness that are given uh, an expiration date, so to speak. But we don't know. But Jesus knew both. And so as we look into Palm Sunday, that's what we're going to consider today is what it looks like and how Jesus knew both when it would happen and how he would die. So she's going to pray for us. About, um, about a couple of months ago, a friend of mine asked me this question. And so um, I, it just stuck with me. And I kept coming back to this notion as I was preparing for this day. And the thing that just really stuck to me is that Jesus knew both and he still chose to move forward. And for some reason, that just makes his sacrifice mean so much more. It, it feels deeper. It feels more sacrificial because he knew what he was walking into and he knew what it was gonna look like. And so I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind as we're talking about Palm Sunday because this kind of marks the beginning of the end for him. Lord, we love you. And we are here just to recognize your glory and your honor and the days ahead um, as we are preparing for Easter. God, I just, I pray that you are in our midst this morning. I pray that you are with Jake and I as we um, share this message, this message that you have put on our heart, but also the message that has been told for so many years and, and over time. It is significant. It is symbolic and um, it is special. And so, God, I just, I pray that you are with us. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be reading uh, this morning from Matthew chapter 
21. So if you turn, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, if you turn there with us now, um, and we're going to have the screen, the, the uh, verses up on the screen as well. And we're going to read through this. And so I just want to give you a little bit of context while you're flipping there. We also have Bibles on this table if you'd like a Bible to look through. You can grab one. Um, but as you're, as you're finding that, I want to give you a little bit of context. As Shay said, this is the beginning of the end. If you remember last year as we came into this season with COVID, uh, we were in a series that we called The Last Days. And it wasn't apocalyptic. It was the last days of Jesus' life. And so in the Gospels, when the Gospels tell this story and the story of Palm Sunday, it marks this transition from Jesus from this very private ministry that spread like wildfire to this very public ministry. Uh, and you see a lot of changes at this point in Scripture where things begin uh, to shift and things begin to change. And so as Jesus comes in, he's taking this death march into Jerusalem and tensions were high. Uh, Jesus knew that he, if he went back to Jerusalem, that surely he would be dead and he decided to go. And so that's kind of where we are in this story. So Shay's going to read uh, the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, Your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the floor, on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And so in the spirit of uh, this question that we pose, this last kind of would you rather question, know when you were going to die or how you were going to die. And considering that Jesus knew both, we're going to look at this scripture in the context of Jesus and see uh, why that's significant and how he knew. So first we're going to take a look at, at, at Jesus knew when he would die. And so if you know much about the ministry of Christ, if you don't know anything, that's okay as well. But if you know anything about the ministry of Jesus, it began just three years prior to this moment. And it began with his first miracle at the wedding of Cana. And lots of things happen, and he turns uh, water to wine and performs this miracle. But there's some language in there and some conversation between Christ, between Jesus and actually his mother that's really specific and kind of marks this ministry that he began that was a very private ministry. And so as she comes to him and tells him to help, he says, he says woman, why do you involve me in this? And while that sounds very uh, disrespectful to your mother, the term woman, biblically, was an honoring, respectful term to not only his mother, but a woman in general. And he says, and he told her, he says, my hour has not yet come. And it marked this moment that Jesus' ministry began. And that language that he uses, he continually uses again and again. My time has not yet come. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is advancing. And he would go and he would perform these miracles and he would do these things. And a lot of times he would perform a miracle for someone. He would heal someone and he wouldn't even tell them his name. 
He wouldn't tell them who he was. He, did, he wasn't doing these miracles for public display or to get attention. Scripture says that he was moved by compassion when he did these things. And wouldn't he even tell them not to tell? Because there were moments where he didn't want crowds to bombard him. He didn't want to be known because then he would have to flee. Somebody would be coming after him. He'd have to flee. And so he would ask specifically, please don't tell. Yeah, and people definitely did not do that. They'd be like, I am healed, and it's this guy, Jesus. And Jesus would flee. Like, there would be moments where he would, he would have to leave and flee. And so um, that marked his ministry. But we see a significant change here, this shift from this very private ministry to this very public ministry in uh, Matthew. It's right here before this. It's Matthew chapter 20. So he comes in, and he is riding a donkey, um, But what is significant about that is that for one of the first times, Jesus's glory is known and it's recognized. This is the one of the only times recorded that Jesus in his physical presence, his glory is recognized. And we see that because the crowd joins in crying out, saying, Hosanna. Not only that, but they are preparing a path for him as if he is royalty. They are putting their coats down. They are grabbing palm branches and they're laying them down like the red carpet. I mean, think about the promenade of uh, uh, the Oscars, right? Or if the queen came into a room, there would be this path that was laid. And so he's coming in very publicly because like Jake said, he knows that his time has come. And just a chapter before this in Matthew 20, we see him clearly predict his death for the third time to his disciples. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem because he's preparing them. He's saying, I just want you to know this is what's happening. And he's just telling his 12 disciples, Matthew 20, 18 and 19, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. He is very specific. And it feels like he's kind of giving them a timeline. He's saying, once we get here, this is what's going to happen. And after that, this is what's gonna happen. And after that, this is going to happen. And he's giving them these points of reference these events that are gonna happen in sequence to prepare them. Kind of reminds me, Jake and I, um, we, we took the kids on this hike and we didn't really have instructions per se on a, on a website or a map. It was this special tree that's by our house and our friend said, here's some pictures. We, we had read this book to the kids called The Wishing Tree, and they had a wishing tree in our kind of the community, and you could go and hang wishes. But it was vague on how you could get there, and they were like, you're going to walk across the, the river twice, and then you're going to see this dead tree and hang a left. It was kind of like Dwight Schrute giving directions to Schrute Farms. He's like, if you hear the buzzing of the bees, you've gone too far. That but, sort of deal. But it was, it, those were the instructions for us. You know, take the second footpath. When you get to the fork, go left. And there were these markers on our timeline of this path to say, this is what you need to look for, and this is what you're gonna expect next, and here are your markers. And, and Jesus is very specific to them. 
And, and, he, and so it's like this, he didn't mince words at this point. Jesus spoke a lot of times in parables and in, not riddles, but he would speak in parables and the disciples would ask him, explain this to us, help us understand. And he would explain these parables. But here he's predicting his death for the third time. He is being as clear as possible. He is not mincing words. He says, we're gonna go to Jerusalem. The son of man's gonna be delivered over to the chief priest and to Pontius Pilate and teacher of the law. They're gonna condemn him to death. And he'll, they'll hand him over to the Gentiles who'll be mocked, flogged, crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. This was not mixing words. And so it shows us that Jesus knew in this idea of when it would happen, he knew what was going on. He knew him walking into this and what this was gonna look like. He wasn't ambushed. He wasn't surprised. When Judas betrayed him and sold his name for a bag of coins, that wasn't news to him. When Peter pulled out his sword and cut off the ear of the soldier coming to arrest him and Jesus put his ear back on his head, that wasn't unsuspected. Jesus knew exactly what was gonna happen. He knew when the time had come. And and this wasn't, he didn't just know this because he was the son of man, because he was God. But beyond that, this is prophecy. And so if you are really into, like if you're a skeptic at heart and you're sitting in this room right now or you're watching and participating through church at home and you're a skeptic at heart, you need to dive in deep here. These 11 verses have prophecy, 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 one after another fulfilled, fulfilled, fulfilled. And see, these Jewish people understood what was happening. And so going back to, to even the timeline, even the spirit of us talking about the time that it would come, going all the way back to the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter nine, I'm gonna walk you through this prophecy. It's gonna be super confusing. Uh, and I'm gonna do my best for you to understand, but in Daniel chapter nine, verses 24 through 26, it talks about the time that the Messiah would come. And it marks it by weeks, it marks it by years and it marks it by dates. And scripture and theologians and historians have shown that the moment that Jesus rides this donkey into Jerusalem was prophesied hundreds of years before, generations before by Gabriel to the prophet Daniel. So Gabriel comes and Gabriel speaks and visits Daniel. And we know that Gabriel is a messenger for the Lord. It's the same angel that visited Joseph and Mary to tell of the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus. And so this angel, Gabriel, visits Daniel and he tells him this. And I'll walk through and I'll try to explain as best as I can. Uh, Try to give you the explain it like I'm five Reddit version. So, excuse me, Daniel chapter nine, verse 24 says this. It says, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression. Okay, your people is God, is Daniel, God's people, that's, that's the Jews. Uh, your holy city, that's Jerusalem. Jesus coming in, king of the Jews, it's nailed above the, the cross when he's put on the cross and he's coming into the holy city, he's coming into Jerusalem. So 77s a decree for your people and your holy city to finish transgressions, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. What does the 77s mean? Why is that significant? So that's how they measure. And so, so historians and theologians have gone back and measured. This is 70 sets of seven years. And so when this prophecy came, he told them that, this, that, that there's gonna be 70 sets of seven years. I know it's confusing and, and talking, yeah, it's, but they've done the math and figured out that it's led, that's led to this. And so in verse 25, it continues. It says, know and understand this. 
from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, okay, Nehemiah, Ezra, like we're getting way Old Testament. But if you were here at the vessel, when we did it, right when the vessel first planned, the first series we ever did is we taught through the book of Nehemiah. But this goes back to rebuilding Jerusalem, Ezra and Nehemiah. It says, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, or as King James Version translates it, the Messiah, the ruler comes, there will be 77s and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench but in times of trouble. If you remember in Nehemiah chapter two, and we talked through that, Nehemiah came through Artaxerxes through a time of trouble. Uh, And this is 400 some odd years before this very moment. But when they look at these these sets of seven years and they look at the 62 sevens, it leads right up to this very date. And verse 26 says, after the 62 sevens, the Messiah will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. And that is this prophecy that marks this timeline. And so if you're a skeptic at heart, this is not biblical. This is historical. This is both biblical and historical. Not, it's just Christians don't believe this thing only. There's other religions and Jews, they believe and they know the marks of this in Daniel prophesying this timeline. And I, I mean, I just want to say that that sort of stuff is just <laughs> over my head. And I have to take it and just accept it and believe that it is true and that these people have researched and they know that because all the sevens, I mean, they just run together for me. But what I want you to get out of this is that timing matters and that all that Jake just said was proof And it made more sense to them at that time because they lived that. They held on to those markers because they were hoping and waiting for a Messiah to come. For you, I want you to think about your own life because timing doesn't just matter in the life of Jesus, but it matters in our life as well. We don't always understand God's timing Sometimes we get the gift of understanding when we look back, but most of the time when we're in the midst of something, we don't know why we're experiencing it or what impact it's going to have on our life. Jake and I, we, um, we made a decision to move out of our starter home when we were pregnant with Keller, our second child. And you know, at the time, that felt like the right time. We're expecting another baby. We need a bigger house. We also wanted to move closer. Jake was getting a new job, and we wanted to be more in that area. So all these factors came together. We put our house on the market. We had done a lot of work to it, and I'm six months pregnant. I mean, hello. And we had all these showings. In one month, we had 40 showings in our house, and we had to cart our dog and our baby out of the house to have all these people, but nothing was happening. And then we we were so discouraged because we're like, our house is fabulous. This is a great house for a young family to come in. It's in a great area. What is happening? Well, eventually we sold our house, but we didn't find any place to move. And so we were again in another predicament. We're homeless We've got no place to go, got a baby on the way. I mean, what in the world? And 
at that time, my parents said, you know what, just come and live with us. We moved live. in with my in-laws, which is really rough time. They're not here this morning. They're probably do church at home. You know, um, I mean, it wasn't the most ideal in the moment. Jake was a football coach, and he had morning practice and after-school practice, and it was a 45-minute drive for him. But it did give us some time, and it was a blessing. Uh, we found a house, and we ended up moving in the week we brought Keller home from the hospital. And that sounds like a whole whirlwind, but I want you to know that as we looked back, I recognized that selfishly, I recognized that my mom took care of me in the hardest months of my pregnancy. And my daughter Sloan, who was two, had people to give her attention that wasn't me. (laughs) And then when we moved into our house, people felt sorry for us. So the church rallied, the whole youth group came, the church unboxed every single package. I did not unbox anything. Someone put together my whole kitchen. They put the clothes in my closet. They moved in all the furniture, and and we were the recipients of so much blessing. So I tell you that story to say that at the time, it felt really overwhelming. It felt really discouraging. But in the end, the house that we're in was awesome. It, it, it has been a lifeline for us. It has provided so much community. Um, I can't say enough good things about the waiting for the place that we're in. And then all of the events that led up to that landing spot that seemed discouraging in the beginning were actually God's blessings. I hope that you have some examples like that in your life. Not all of them are gonna make sense. Not all of them are gonna give you such hope, but I hope that there are some moments in your life that you can look back and say, God was good. And even though I didn't understand it at the time, now I see what he was doing. And I think that with timing, like there's big things like that. You can look back at times in your life, man, look what God did and his timing was perfect at that moment. But it's the little things as well. Like we're watching right now. I mean, we went away for two weeks. We come back and man, everything was frozen and dead. We left and we come back and boom, it's green. And we have flowers and plants that have never bloomed before that are blooming. And like just the seasons change. And I want you to know that like Jesus knew timing with God matters and it matters in your life. And he's not disgruntled. He's not trying to be vague. That's why it says that one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. Is it in his time and he's working all things out for his good? And so, so yeah, first and foremost, that timing matters. We saw in this Matthew 20 scripture, not only that he knew when he was gonna die, but he also describes very specifically how he is gonna die. He says that we're gonna go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna be delivered over. He says he's gonna be condemned to death. He will be mocked and flogged and crucified and eventually he will be raised from the dead. He knew how it was all going to play out. That, that 
that's really impacting to me. That the Lord knew the pain and the misery that he was going to experience very shortly. And because he knew all of that, he lived the rest of his days very intentionally. And we see that in this Palm Sunday scripture because we see another prophecy fulfilled. Matthew 21 says, Jesus sent two disciples, verse two, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this scripture comes directly from Zechariah 9.9, which another, is another prophet of the Old Testament and Jesus filling, fulfilling another prophecy. So Shay mentioned, but you see the intentionality in Jesus here. He could have walked in to Jerusalem and just, and, and just walked with his disciples. So he said he stopped. He sent disciples in to get this, this cult and to bring it so he could write it in, in order to fulfill this prophecy of this coming Savior. But see, the prophecy about Zechariah 9.9 is the prophecy of a king. It's not necessarily a prophecy of sacrifice and death. And so when these, when these Jewish people see him coming in, what they think in this image that they have of this king like when they think about kingdom and royalty, they see him riding in on a horse, right? This white horse, this knight, he's got armor, he's got a sword, he's coming to avenge, he's coming to take a throne. And so as he's coming in and they're shouting, Hosanna in the highest, they're cheering him on. Like Shay said, they're laying out the red carpet, they're waving the palm branches because their king has come. But see, what they thought was a king coming to take a throne and to take life, Jesus knew was a death march. And in this moment, you see this kind of juxtaposition between these people that were celebrating their coming king and this savior that was coming to die. And this, the whole image of him riding on this donkey is again, goes to the humility of Christ. It, it, it shows that he's not riding on some white horse with a stallion and an army behind him, but he's, he's riding in with them shouting out, Hosanna, uh, son of David. Yeah, which is, is, is very ironic, but right? Because he's coming in and declaring himself king, but in this humble way. He's not proclaiming it by a show and by all this flavor. He's simply riding in on a donkey. He's not wearing a robe or coming in with jewels and, and um, like someone in royalty would. Right, because for Jesus, this was a death march. He knew how it would happen. He knew that he'd be pierced for our transgressions. He knew he'd go to the cross for our sins. He knew that he would die a sinner and a murderer's death, the most innocent man ever for our sake. And so as he's coming in, um, he wasn't like the grand marshal of a parade, like, ah, you know, they're throwing flowers and then waving at him. No, he's mourning this. They're celebrating, but he knows what he's about to have to do. Uh, The Gospel of Luke adds to this story. The Gospel of Luke says that the Pharisees, as they're shouting out, Hosanna, and they're calling him the Messiah and the Savior and this King. And and um, Hosanna means help us. Yeah save us. So right there, even, even in that, Hosanna, there are, they are proclaiming like, we need you. Yeah. We need your help. 
We need you as our Savior. And the, the Pharisees are there. They say, they, they rebuke these people. They tell Jesus, they say, rebuke them. Rebuke your disciples. This is blasphemy. And he says, he's, and he replied, if, if they keep quiet, the very stones of this road will cry out of my glory and who I am. So this is, I mean, that gives me goosebumps. This is a very public display where Jesus is coming out. And the public part of his ministry was a public ministry of death. And he comes in, and verse 41 of Luke 19 says that as he approaches Jerusalem, as he approaches Jerusalem, verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. They're shouting and cheering for him and waving palm branches. He comes over this cleft, riding on this colt. He sees Jerusalem for the first time, and he begins to weep. And biblically, this word is not just shed a hallmark tear. It means it says wailing and moaning that he's moved by angst so much because he knows what's going to happen. He knows that that journey is going to end on a death on a cross. And three days away from the Lord, the weight of the sin of the world upon his shoulder, and he sees these people, and he's moved with compassion for them. And he had a decision. It's why when they mock him on the cross, they say, you're the king of the Jews. The plaque that they put up, that's mocking him. That's a joke to tease him, and they say, oh, if you're the king, if you're God's son, then climb off the cross, and he could have, but he didn't. And so he comes in, and then he says this in verse 42, after he sees the city and weeps for it, and he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He knew how he was gonna die. He knew how this story ended. And so even though that Jesus knew, he still got on that donkey and he still rode towards his death. I, I think it's fascinating that Jesus was so intentional he, to fulfill this property, prophecy. Let me spit it out. Um, there were steps that were super specific. He sends two disciples and says, go fetch that donkey and that coal, right? And I mean, like Jake said earlier, he could have just walked in, but he wanted to make this declaration. He wanted to fulfill this prophecy, and this was the moment to do that. And so he laid out these steps, sent his disciples to get this donkey so that he could make this walk. And I just think about how intentional he, he was in this. But Again, I want you to flip the switch and look at your own lives because Jesus is really intentional in our lives as well. I can think of some things in my life that God has done, steps that I've taken that have led me to points, but usually it's easier for me to look at somebody else's life. So Jake is now the leading pastor of Vessel, but in the 15 years of our marriage, I have to say that it's taken a while to get here. It's a work in progress. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Yeah. It's taken a while. Uh, when we started off, he was still in college and he was a geography major and he started working at a geography company low on the totem pole. He wanted to be outdoors and this company was shifting gears and he was sitting behind a computer and he was miserable. But all that misery, 
God was moving him to something more. And so he ended up being a teacher. I was a teacher. He saw that that was impacting and thought, you know what? I want to make a difference. I'm going to try this. Um, and so he was a teacher and a coach, and he, he loved it. But because of that experience and where we were at church, um, our pastor said, hey, we need somebody to run the student ministry. You are good with youth. Do you think that you could do this? And so Jake said, sure, yeah. I'll do that. So uh, he went from geography to teaching and coaching to now being a student ministry leader. Um, And then over the course of that, he started teaching, which was something he'd never gotten to do before. He never had the opportunity to. Um, So God used that opportunity to give him a space and time to start teaching. Uh, And then in his role as student ministry leader, he got the chance to step into a pastor role when our pastor took a sabbatical. He said, Jake, you know, I see these qualities in you and I want you to kind of test this out. I'm gonna take a break and I need somebody to make sure that everything doesn't just go crazy. Can you step into this role? And so for a summer, Jake was the pastor of our church. And in that time, the Lord was also, again, encouraging him, building him up, giving him confidence and showing them that he could do more than what he was doing. And that led to him being a community pastor, which led to him here. Now, through the course of all those things, Jake was like, I'm not qualified. I can't do this. I, I, I'm not equipped. But looking back, You can see his teaching experience prepared him for student ministry. His student ministry experience prepared him for being a pastor of of the community. And then that role prepared him for taking on this responsibility. Now, God was intentional about placing him in each of those jobs to prepare him for the next thing in his life. Yeah, and as we close, I want us to consider kind of these two things we've talked about. Going back to this idea of Jesus knew when, and timing matters, is that right now in your life, the Lord is doing something. Something is happening. You may be exercising a lot of patience. You may be walking into a path that's very unknown and makes you nervous. You may be a season where you don't see things happening, but God is a God that moves us towards him that moves us towards purpose and that his kingdom comes in and through our lives. And so it's easy when you look back because looking back is hindsight, it's fleshly, and we can see the path that the Lord's brought us on. But moving forward is a walk of faith. And so as we close, I first wanna encourage you in God's timing in your own life, like to seek that out, to be patient, to trust him for what he's doing in that process. And don't lose hope. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is also a big element to that is that Jesus is our hope. He is always before us. His timing is sovereign, even though we don't understand it. So don't lose hope. And, and like, sometimes we don't understand what's happening. We had this big freeze and everything died. And Shay had these kind of lilies, is that what they're called? Back by her, which I don't care about flowers. We have a garden that I put a lot I of energy into. And so like they did that done, like frozen, bent over, brown, and so we get back and we're clearing it out. And she's like, 
you're not going to believe it. There's all these buds back here. They're coming up. Fourteen. So like, there are fourteen yeah, we that don't, have survived. We don't always see those parts of what God's doing, but God's doing something. The second thing is this idea of the how and intentionality is that God is an intentional God. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I hate the phrase, the devil's in the details. That's not true. God is in the details. And everything that's going on in your life, every little detail, it matters to the Lord. Some of that's painful. Some of that's born out of sin or distrust or unforgiveness, but God can use that. And he's intentional with what he's doing in our lives. And, and I mean, you know, we talked about this question, knowing when, and Jake said, you know, but we're all going to die. And I mean, the, the truth in here is that every day counts. So whether you know when you're going to die or not, every day matters. We should live intentionally because every day, every moment, it matters. Yeah. So as we close, I want to invite Dustin and Shelby to come back up. And, and as we close, I want to leave you with a couple things. And we're going to sing the song Hosanna again. Uh, but I want to leave you with this question again. Would you rather know when you're going to die or how you're going to die? Because the truth is, is we're not granted that. But we are granted to know when we are to live and how we are to live as Christ followers. And that is a gift is that you can mark the moment in your life that you give your life to Jesus Christ, that you, that you are born again, that you have new life, that the old you that's dead in its transgression is raised to new life in Christ. You can point to that moment and you can have that moment now. And, and if the Lord is stirring in your heart, you can say, this is the moment. The when is the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ. And the what and the how is life eternal and life abundant. And that doesn't wait for death. That doesn't wait for the pearly gates or the other side of eternity. That's life now. And so we get so caught up sometimes in thinking about the when or the how or the fear that Jesus dealt with. And he dealt with that so that we don't have to. He climbed on that cross so that we don't have to. He bore our sins so we don't have to. He died a death so that we don't have to. And I know that it's not, not always that straightforward and that easy. So as we close and as we sing this song, Hosanna, again, I want you to remember, as Dustin said this morning, we're singing along with a generation of people and we're praising our God that's coming as we come into this week. This is Holy Week. And we're remembering Jesus coming in on this donkey, coming to the cross for our sins. And so what we're gonna do this week, we're, we're not having a good Friday service as we've done in the past but we're gonna be putting out a blog post and some reading for you to do at home. And on Friday, you're gonna remember Jesus dying. And so I want, I want you to remember, not only do we say Hosanna, coming and, and save me as our King, but also Hosanna, come and save me by dying for my sins. So if you would stand with me, I'm gonna open us in prayer. And I just want us to keep that in mind as we close out with this song. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.